Uh, well, we are glad you're here this morning. We are honored to have you uh, with us. And we've got a special kind of honor this morning. Um, Reagan is back here on home assignment from Thailand. Um, you've kind of heard how her story has gone. We've heard from Greg. We've heard from Angela. We've heard how their uh, story has kind of been shaped over the past four weeks or so. But Reagan was actually set to, to come back anyway. And we had kind of slated this day as an opportunity for her to share her story about what's been going on in Thailand. About two years ago-ish, we helped send Reagan to Thailand where she has been a part of a team that is working on planting churches. And so we are excited that she's going to give us a few minutes a day to sort of teach us where Thailand is, number one, and then tell us what they're doing over there and get to hear about kind of what the Lord is doing and then celebrate with her as her church. And we're excited that you're here. So Reagan, come share with us a little bit about what God is doing. Yep. <laughs> That means hello, brothers and sisters. It's the greeting people give each other in a Thai church. Um, I don't know where I should stand. Here in the middle. Um, so I have my notes here, sorry. Um, so I'm, my name is Reagan Taylor. I've been living in Thailand and serving there for the past year and a half. And I'll tell you more about what we're doing over there. Slide. <laughs> All right. Uh, so... You can see a little bit where Thailand is from this map, but about a year and a half ago, in January 2015, I made the 24-hour-ish journey by plane to Thailand. Um, People ask me a lot of questions about Thailand and what we're doing there and what we've been doing, and so I just want to take a few minutes to answer some of those. Um, Maybe the most common question is, do you live in Taiwan? And the answer is, no, I live in Thailand because they're two different countries. So Thailand is right there, Taiwan's up there, and in Thailand we speak the Thai language, um, we don't speak Taiwanese. That actually isn't a language. <laughs> in Taiwan, they speak Mandarin Chinese, if anyone didn't know that. So, moving on. Next question people ask, is it really hot in Thailand? And the answer is yes, it's very hot all the time, except for about four days in the winter where it's about 50 degrees. Um, so we use a lot of fans there. People ask, are there a lot of monkeys? Yes. So here's a monkey I saw outside of a shop who really wanted a pastry. So I got his picture. Uh, next hundred, Our next question I get is, do we have a lot of critters in our houses? And sometimes, yes. So we get a lot of lizards, a lot of geckos. And this is one day where I found a snake um, crawling through my kitchen roof. Um, sorry, that picture is blurry. I was screaming while I was taking it. <laughs> and so this is just a sequence of unfortunate events between the snake and the lizard. So, can, so this is the end. He got it, and then he just went away after that. <laughs> so no other attacks besides the lizard. Um, so yeah, that was that. Was that. So uh, the next part I'll move on to is just sharing about what we've been, done, what we've been doing so far in, uh, for the last year and a half in our ministry in Thailand so far. So this is my team. Uh, there's six adults and two kids. Uh, so the, the family of four is Marnie and Tim. They're in the back. And there are two boys, Alex and Dominic. Liz is the girl in the blue shirt, and she's the one that I live with. And then Matt is in the very back, and his wife Heather is in the front next to me. Um, Jolene is in the middle there, and she was just there to homeschool the boys for the first year while we were doing language. So she's returned back to the States since then. Um, so what we've also been doing is studying language in Thai school or in a missionary school. Um, so this is what Thai looks like. It's really easy um, to write, to read, to speak. It's just not hard. So it says, that means we studied Thai language. 
in school. Um, so on the next slide, we'll see one of my teachers. And so her name is Krutum. And she uh, helped me learn and, and begin to speak and to write and to read Thai. Um, and so we changed teachers about every two months and studied with a different one so we could get used to different speakers and things like that. So as well as learning language in language school, we also learned a lot about uh, Thai culture and religion. And if, I don't know who knows very much about Thailand and religion there, but the major religion is Buddhism. And so two major things that kind of stick out about Buddhism are, are one, it's very much part of the identity of a Thai person to be Buddhist. So to be Thai is to be Buddhist. And so it's much different than here where you can kind of choose individually what you want to do, and it doesn't have a whole lot of reflection on other people, but, but in Thailand it does. It's a very much communal family thing. Um, another thing about Buddhism is, is the concept of reincarnation, which is where you live and then you die, and then you come back as something else depending on how well you did or badly you did in your former life. And then the other idea is the idea of making merit, which is doing good works. And so you want to do more good works than bad works so that when you die and come back, you can be better off than you were before. Um, so those are just a few ideas that are really different from you know, what we experience and what we believe in the gospel. And so some of those ideas become really complicated when we talk to people about Jesus. And so we have to deal with some of that misunderstandings and, and trying to explain how Jesus is different. So uh, in March of this year, we moved from Lopuri, which is where we studied language, down to the city of Cha'am, which is where we've been living and where we'll keep living for the next four to six years doing ministry. And so right now, there actually isn't a church at all in Cha'am. There are churches around in different cities, but not in Cha'am. Um, so our goal as a team is to plant a church there. Um, we aren't looking to build a building because we can have church anywhere. You can be in a home or a coffee shop or wherever as long as you have a group of people who believe in Jesus and are committed to each other and serving. Um, we also aren't looking to um, do something else that I forgot. What is it? <laughs> I don't remember. Yep. So, <laughs> so essentially we're looking, to, we're looking to plant a new church in Ja'am. We don't want to plant a church that becomes one big church, but we want to plant a church that reproduces itself across the city and then also across the country. That was the thing I forgot. Um, so we just are still getting started and still, um, even though we've studied language for a while, we still have a long way to go, as I'm sure you can imagine. And so what we do now is we study language books with people in the community. So this is my language helper. Her name is Bram. Um, we also are teaching an English program for kids just to get involved in the community and to get people to know who we are and um, kind of what we're doing. So we're doing head, shoulders, knees, and toes, that song. Kids are really liking that song. We also do a lot of prayer, and so as you, I'm sure, know, um, prayer is the most important part of any ministry. Without following God's voice and God's leading, anything we do in our own power and our own wisdom is not going to produce very much at all. And so we uh, walk through neighborhoods, which is what we're doing right now. We gather in each other's homes or at our office building, and we pray over the city of Cha'am and the country and then other countries as well. We also just started renting this uh, building in the very middle, this ministry center, and that's a place where we want to be able to have gatherings um, for people in the community to come. We want to do like a men's gathering and a women's gathering, and we also want to teach a course on the very basics of Christianity, and we also just want to have a place where people can come in and, um, and learn about who we are and why we're there and about the message we're sharing. They can just have a safe place to come and sit down and just talk to us and learn more. Um, so also a big part of our ministry and time there so far is obviously just building relationships with people. So this is one of my favorite people there. Her name is Badang. 
and she lives on my street and she's a cook and she has a little restaurant in front of her house with like two tables and um, she's a very, uh, very devout Buddhist and so she has these little idols that kind of sit in the back of her shop and she says they bring in customers and good luck um, to come into her shop. So there was one day where Liz, my teammate, and I were walking around our neighborhood, we were praying, we were handing out just little pamphlets on the story of Jesus and she asked us, what are you doing? And I felt nervous because I knew she wasn't really open to the gospel, but she was very friendly with us. And so even though that was the case, she's still our friend. And so we told her, we're walking and we're praying and we're handing out these books. And uh, she says, well, do you have any extra? Because I can hand them out to my customers when they come to eat. If they have any questions, they can just ask you. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) So so we gave her some of these books. And it was just, I just couldn't believe that, you know, God really does just use anyone, even people who don't care about him, uh, to, to share the gospel. Um, one of our other friends is Mimi, and she's on the left, the Thai woman on the left. She's been a Christian for about uh, three years, and she became a Christian after she just found a Bible on her front porch. She had no idea where it came from and who put it there or anything like that, but she just started reading it. And so she's reading the Bible, and she just is reading about Jesus and the things he's saying. And she just said, Jesus has some really good things to say. Like, he says, love your enemies and, like, pray for those who persecute you. And I just thought that was really good. <laughs> and so... Uh, she just kept reading and decided, I really want to follow Jesus, but I don't know anyone who can tell me how. Um, and so eventually she was introduced to a woman in a market who happened to be a Christian. And um, that woman took her to church. And now Mimi's very passionate about evangelism and following Jesus and just putting the word of God in people's hands because she says, that's how he changed me. And the Holy Spirit does the rest. So she's really excited about sharing about Jesus. This woman on the left, her name is Nipa. She's been a Christian for about 10 years and um, she's a woman who used to be Buddhist, um, and her sister was a Christian and kept inviting her to church, but Nipa just didn't want to go. She, she had a lot of a pain in her life, but still believed that, that doing good and going to the temple and things like that would, would help, but eventually she just decided this isn't working, and so she ended up going to church, and she did become a Christian, and she found the hope in Jesus. And so she's a woman who um, is going to be starting a Bible study in our city pretty soon, so we're very excited about that because it's something we can invite Um, Christians who are there, but also people who are not yet believers. And so we're really excited about that. So just as you uh, pray for me and pray for my team and be thinking about us, please pray. Um, We need your prayers for God to work in Thailand and um, to work in Cha'am, where we live. So please be praying for my team. Pray for unity for us and also for us to follow the voice of God and to be constant in um, just seeking after him and not in our own strength and own wisdom. Um, Please pray for Cha'am and the people there that God will open up their hearts to the gospel and pray for Thailand as well that the gospel would just continue to spread and that God would uh, plant his church more and more there. Thank you.
it's really uh, awesome for me to see pictures because Reagan and I have been talking about Thailand for, <clears throat> golly, a long time now. And it's exciting to see some of the things that are happening there. Part of what we want to be as a church and what we want to do is we want to be really good about telling stories about what God is doing, not only around the world, but in our own lives. And so we try every month to get somebody up here to share their story a little bit about what God is doing in me or through me or around me. And so uh, we've had some of the crew folks share. Michaela shared last month about her heartbeat going to New York City and working with international students. And so it's, it's an exciting time. And so if you get a chance, uh, Reagan would love to tell you more about what's going on there, how you can pray for her, how you can support her. She's over here for a couple of months meeting with her supporters, telling stories, and just kind of rekindling her heart. And so if you are not on her support team and you want to, you want to be a part of what God is happening in Thailand, there are really great ways to do that. We support her as a church, but we encourage you to support her and her team as individuals as well. So uh, it actually fits uh, hand in hand sort of unintentionally with what we're kind of doing today. Interestingly enough, you know, we have spent two years in the book of Acts and we have studied every word and every verse. And we've looked at at, uh, this whole book over the course of quite a bit of time. And I realized that over that two years, we've had people come and go, and maybe you weren't here for the first part, or maybe you've only been coming for the past few weeks. And so it may not seem like much to you, but for a lot of us, it was a pretty incredible journey, a, a, a picture of what God was doing with the gospel, literally sending the gospel to all the nations. And as I got to the end, I sort of felt this sort of anticlimactic kind of like, yeah, we're, we're done, but there was so much that was there that I want to just point us back to. And so before we move into whatever our next movement will be, um, and I'm not quite sure kind of what we'll do over the next kind of series or what book we'll look at or kind of what we'll study yet. I'm still kind of working through that. But I feel like there's a few things I want to point us back to. So we're not going to use Acts necessarily the text, but we're going to use Acts as the backbone to say, what are the overarching lessons or principles or things that we saw in that book that applied to us as a church and to you and I as individuals? And the first one we're going to look at this morning is really the very nature of the church itself. And I'm not talking about the church in terms of how we gather here, but the church that you are a part of, the universal larger church, the ecclesia, the gathering, the assembling of people, right? As followers of Christ, what is the very nature of that group of people? Because in Acts, that is what this story is about. It is about the empowering of that group of people and the sending of them into the world. And the entire book from start to when Paul finds himself under house arrest in Rome is built with that idea in mind that we are being sent into the world. So that first kind of principle or lesson that I want to explore and starting this morning and doing it somewhat quickly is just this. As followers of Christ, we exist to be sent. Now, the premise of that is it means that you and I were not created to sort of maintain our own Christian identity and Christian culture and develop centers where we are comfortable and feel like all of our needs are met. We are created to be sent by God into the world to take the gospel into the cracks and crevices of culture and love people intentionally into gospel relationships to make disciples and to bear witness to the name of Jesus Christ. We are a sent people. The very promise and principle of the church is that we are sent. And we saw it from the onset of Acts 1. You may remember in Acts chapter 1, 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, he appears to his disciples, a bigger group actually than just the 12, uh, that well, 11 since Judas had taken his own life, bigger group than just that. And he's giving them instructions. 
and he's teaching them about what life is essentially going to be like and what their role is going to be. And the disciples are somewhat confused. They look at Jesus and they say, is this the time when you are going to come and restore the nation of Israel? Because even after all the things that they've seen Jesus do, and even after all the resurrection appearances, 40 days of those, they are still hanging on to hope that the Messiah was going to come, Jesus was going to come and restore the political power that Israel once was, right? The kingdom of David to free us from Rome. They were still hoping that Jesus was tied to this political movement, right? And so they said, is is now this the time, even after all the things that we've seen, is this a time when you're going to come and restore the kingdom of Israel? And Jesus looks at them all and he says, look, it's not for you to know the day or the hour that the Father has set, but you will be my witnesses, right? In Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. In other words, he says, you will be bearing witness to me. Right here in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, the surrounding places that nobody really wants to go, and to the very ends of the earth. And essentially what Jesus is saying is, I am sending you. You, this group, these followers of mine will be sent to these places, that you won't exist to gather together for your own safety, but you will exist to be sent. And my hope is that this is not the first time you've heard me talk about this, right? I want our nature as a church, as individuals, to seep and bleed through everything that I teach and preach. Because at the moment that we become, for the maintenance and care of ourselves, is the moment we cease to exist as a church. Our nature is to be sent, We gather, we worship, we study, but we exist with the gospel out there. And this morning what we're going to explore is what does that mean, right? And the natural place that we're going to go to look at that is the Great Commission, that part where Jesus sends the disciples into the world and how that pairs with what we learned in Acts chapter 1. And what does it really mean for you? And not just the church, because it's really easy to say the church is sent, but that's Reagan, right? Like we're sending her. So high five to us. Yay, Reagan, right? We're doing our job. But what does it mean for me to exist as a sent person in my workplace, in my family, in my daily life, and just sort of the breath that I draw? What does it mean for me to exist, not for me, but for the gospel? So if you've got your Bible, we're going to do this quickly because we had a lot of stuff going on this morning. We're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 28. Hopefully you're familiar with this. We've kind of probably been here before many times over the past four or five years. But if you've got it, I want you to open up to Matthew 28, 16. And just a quick word about the Great Commission. You probably know or will remember, but it's never actually really called the Great Commission in the Bible, right? We add titles to all of our stuff. We call it the Great Commission. It's really the, the sort of the charge that Jesus is giving the disciples. And he gathers the 11 uh, after his resurrection. He's made several resurrection appearances already. Uh, he has told the disciples to basically go to the mountain. In Matthew 26, he tells them, when I leave you, I will meet with you again. Essentially, he sends them to the mountain where he tells them outside of Galilee that they will be meeting. And they're just waiting on him. And there's 11 of them because Judas had taken his own life. And Jesus shows up and he gives them sort of this commission, this charge, this, this pushing, this sending and reminding them or basically telling them what their role will be as his followers. And we're going to couple that with what we see in Acts 1, and we're going to learn what it means for you and I to exist as sent people. So before we do that and we dive in there, let's take a moment and let's pray, and then we will open that piece of text together. God, I am grateful for your word. I'm grateful that it is bigger than anything that we know. It is living and active. It is sharper than any double-edged sword. God, you tell us that it 
penetrates soul and spirit, that it judges the thoughts and attitudes of our heart, that your word is your very breath. God, you tell us that it is the breath of God. And so, Lord, as we open it and we study it, we don't take it lightly. It is not a guidebook for our everyday existence. It is the truth, the foundation, the very essence of your character. And we know that having an encounter with your word is to have an encounter with you. And so we don't take it lightly. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask the Lord to teach you something this morning. Whatever that may be, I I have no idea. But just ask him to teach your heart this morning. And as we do each week, pray for somebody around you, in front of you, behind you, even if you don't know them, just pray that God would would move in them. Uh, Pray that he would do something in their heart. Be about praying for other people. Lord, we turn our morning over to you. We're grateful that we can gather here in this place and open your word together. We ask this in the risen name of Jesus, our Savior and our Redeemer. Amen. So hopefully this is not new. I think I've alluded to this multiple times, probably even taught on it a few years ago when we were doing some different stuff. But we're going to look at it from a little bit of a different angle this morning. But this is what is titled in your Bible as the Great Commission. But really it's just the wrapping up of, of the end of Matthew and how Matthew records the conversation, essentially the charge, the commission that Jesus gives the 11 disciples that are remaining. And this is Matthew 28, 16 through 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain, where the Jews had told them to go, or where where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. So, should be pretty familiar. We visited, we, we built a lot of our theology of church around this idea of the Great Commission. And as we look at it, for a long time, we, as a church, not just our particular church, but the big church, has always seen this as this sort of mission charge to go out to all the nations, to take the gospel to the Middle East, to the 1040 window, to all those places where the gospel is not. And we forget that back then, 2,000 years ago, that's where the gospel was. And so to go to all the nations doesn't necessarily mean to go there. To go doesn't necessarily mean to leave, but to go means to be sent. And when we couple this idea with what's happening in in Acts chapter 1, we get a really different picture of why we exist as the church. So we have the 11 disciples. They had gone to meet with Jesus off this mountain outside of Galilee where Jesus had told them to go, and he shows up. And we have reason to believe it is just the 11 of them who are really reeling about what their life looks like now. I mean, imagine, they had spent three years, they had given up everything, jobs and life and things, and followed Jesus for three years. And they had just watched him brutally murdered. And then they had had the reports that he had been raised from the dead, and some of them have even seen him with their own eyes. And there's confusion, and they don't really understand what this means. We know they don't understand, because in just a couple of weeks, they're going to stand in front of Jesus and say, does this mean you're going to restore Israel? Like, they're confused as to what life looks like now. It hasn't all come together for them. And so they're meeting there, waiting, and it says that Jesus shows up. 
and they worshiped him. And the Greek word there is actually the Greek word proskuneo, which means they fell face down. They literally fell on their face to worship him. But some doubted, like they were wrestling with what does this mean? Because there was no clear charge. There was no picture of the church. This was just 11 guys who had built their entire life around Jesus. And that Jesus was killed. And what is more is that now he's been raised. And what does that mean for us? What does it mean? And is this resurrection, like, is it real? And what do I do with that? And we have people like Thomas who, who had doubted that movement, right, until I see Jesus with my own eyes or I put my fingers in his nail holes until I understand that. I mean, think about what your mindset would be. And so Jesus shows up on this mountain, and they worshiped him, and they wrestled with doubt, right? This is chaos. It's confusing, and they're trying to wrap their minds around what life looks like. And Jesus came to them, and he gives them this commission, this charge, this responsibility, if you will, right? And he says, listen, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. It's been given to me. And I am sending you. Therefore, go to all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely, Surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. And we have, we have latched onto that as a Christian culture, as a missional sending kind of verse that says, go save people. All right, the church, the Great Commission is our mission banner. But there's something deeper in there if we really couple it with Acts 1, understanding about our personal nature and what it means for me as a follower of Christ and what it means for the church, our church, the church. And there's three little pieces in there. There's the authority piece, there's the call piece, and there's this promise. The authority is really important, though, and Jesus sort of starts off with it. He says, all authority has been given to me, right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Acts chapter 1, Jesus kind of puts it, you will receive power, right, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me, and I am sending you. In other words, I am giving you that authority, Acts 1 says the Holy Spirit will show up and you will be given that power. There is an authority that comes with this sort of sending nature. And that authority is really important because we don't just get to go and do spiritually on our own what we want. We don't walk out there and say, I'm going to have an eternal impact on the world based on what I can do or what I have or what merit I bring or how much I know. But authority spiritually is given to us by the living God, by the Holy Spirit of God, we are given authority. And it's important to know that because nothing will happen of eternal significance without the presence of God, without the Holy Spirit, the movement of God. You will never be able to make a spiritual impact on the life of a single person without the authority of God. Scripture is very clear that only God draws people unto himself, only God does the supernatural, only God does the spiritual, right? So going and taking charge and making movements and doing things apart from the authority of God is somewhat useless spiritually. And what Jesus is saying is that the authority of the Father has been given to me and I am sending you. The church is being sent with the authority of God. This was really important for the disciples, right? Because the Jesus that they had walked with, the authority that they had was standing in their presence, 
He was calming storms and stopping waves and putting his fingers on the, on the eyes of those that were blind and giving them sight. He was the authority. And by his very presence, he brought authority to whatever situation they were in. But Jesus was crucified, right? He had been killed and he had been raised and his presence physically right there was no longer there. And he's looking at these disciples saying, I do not have to be physically standing with you. I am giving you authority. In Acts 1, he he says that authority will come with the Holy Spirit. A lot of us, we want to engage the things of God on our own terms, all right? God may be sending, calling, doing, but we want to do it according to our own sort of pleasures and movements and kind of comfortable situations. Authority has been given to you through the Holy Spirit to do the things that God is calling you to do. We oftentimes feel that we are not capable. Like, I don't know that I could go to Thailand and I could walk the streets and tell people about Jesus. I can't even tell my mom who I love. I've got a coworker that I've been working with for 16 years, and he's going through a terrible divorce, and I want to tell him that God loves him, yet I am petrified to even do that. You have been given authority by God, the Holy Spirit. He is sending you, and he is doing the supernatural work. We have been given authority. That person's eternal destiny does not depend on your ability to correctly communicate things. All things of spiritual influence will happen because of the authority of God and not you. In other words, you can't blow it. It's not about you being qualified, having the skills. I never went to seminary. I don't know how to talk about the Bible. Sure you do. You know what he tells, Jesus tells the, the, the disciples in Acts 1? Just go and bear witness. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the earth, and bear witness. You know what it means to bear witness? Just tell what you know. Think about what a witness does. What did you see? Well, here's what I saw. I was a pretty awful person doing pretty terrible things. Jesus stepped into my life and changed me. I don't really understand how or why, but my life is totally different, and I owe it all to that God. And that's essentially what the disciples were doing. They were just telling what they had seen and heard. And we have the authority given by the Holy Spirit to do that. We don't run around on our own. We also have this really intentional call, right? Um, Matthew tells us that going is not simply about just going. So therefore, go to these places, right? To all the nations. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Make disciples. Teach them to obey everything I've commanded you baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we think that the sending nature of the church is the physical act of going. So wherever that is, where do we go? Well, we go wherever God calls us, but where is that? Is that Thailand? Is it China? Is it uh, Peru? Is it Guatemala? Where is the going? And my faithfulness is tied to the going. But the going is just sort of part of the story. The real reason we go is to make disciples. Not to pat ourselves on the back and high-five about all the countries that we go to or the places that we are, right? Going is just the means by which we follow in obedience to get to the actual call, which is disciple-making. 
But most of us in our church culture have attached going to being over there. Right? Going is the important part. But when you really read the Great Commission, the going is the means to the end. The end is disciple-making. Right? So if, if my wife, who I love dearly, sends me to the store to go buy eggs, and I go to the store and I come home and I see what happened, I went. You told me to go. She goes, I told you to buy eggs. You go, but I know I went. The going is not the purpose. That's the obedience. The making disciples is the purpose of the call. But for most of us, this is where things get petrifying. Because making disciples involves time. It involves commitment. It involves relationally existing in the lives of people, pointing them to the God that has changed your life. And disciple-making is not easy. And so we pawn it off on our churches and on our pastors and on our classes. That's where disciples are made. But if you really read Scripture, disciples are made one-on-one with people sharing what they've understood about who God is, about the gospel, and about what it means to be a mature follower of Jesus. But the majority of us are petrified of that. So the going, we reserve that for missionaries to go over there, and Reagan comes up and stands, and we clap for her like crazy. And then we go about our own life, thinking that being sent is for someone else or for our church. But this call is for every single Christ follower. Go where? Wherever God says. Sometimes that's literally across the world, and sometimes it's simply across the room. Sometimes that call is as simple as, I want you to speak to that coworker. 17 years. And not once have you dove into their life spiritually or asked them a question that mattered. It wasn't about OU football. Right? Not once. And you know that they are wrestling and walking, and you are afraid, and I am sending you into their life. And not just to go and sit next to them, but to go and do something intentional. The intentionality is to make disciples. I want that person who is broken and hurting to have a growing, maturing relationship with Jesus. That should be the heartbeat of every single one of us. That every person that we see or come across, I don't care where they are or who they are, the deepest recesses of our heart should be that I want them to know Jesus. Whether I've met them or whether they stand in line with me at Starbucks, I long for the world to know the risen Christ. And as a follower of Christ, God, I want you to use me. Most of us will not say that because we will not be inconvenienced in our spiritual lives. Church exists as that thing that unfolds for us on a Sunday, and if we're really great on another day of the week, by which we can learn and feel loved, but that's where it exists, and that's where it stops. It's contained in these walls, metaphorically and literally. But the nature of a Christ follower is not what happens here, which is lovely and wonderful. But what we do with the other, whatever, hours in our week. And how we say, God, use me, and my heart breaks for the world. And I want people not just to know you, but to have a deep knowledge of who you are. To understand your grace and what it means to be set free from the traps of sin and lies and desperation. I want them to walk with you. I want them to be free from the things that used to just seize my heart.
I want them to be free from even the things I still struggle with. I want them to be free from the pain and the materialism and the fear, right? And the hurt of sin and the guilt. Like, I want the world to know you. And I'm not saying world in terms of, I mean, I'll talk about names. Like, I want people to know you. And you have given me authority. You are sending me with your authority to look into that person's life and say, look, God loves you. He's loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to not just die for you so that you could have eternal life in heaven, but so you could have a life today that begins a real abundant life with him. Jesus calls it disciple-making. In those days, you know where disciple-making was? There was a rabbi, and he would travel around, and he would teach. In this case, it was Jesus, but he wasn't the only one. And people would give up their lives, and they would walk around behind that rabbi, not just hoping to learn, but they wanted to become more like him. That was the goal. A disciple was someone who studied intently to become more like the one they were following. Does that describe your life? As a disciple of Jesus Christ, are you pursuing Jesus with the intention of going, God, I want to become more like your son? Or is our lives in pursuit of Christ just simply that I don't want to feel bad about the things that I did? And I want to get a few just kind of moral things out of the way. Most of us are uninterested in the pursuit of becoming like Jesus. Because we know what that means. It means I'm going to have to lay some things down. It means I'm going to have to be sent. And most of us are petrified of that. But there's an amazing thing that happens with this authority and with this call. And it's the promise that is attached to it. Jesus, after telling this to the disciples, right? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says, and surely I am with you always even to the very end of the age. The promise, the great promise of what it means to be sent is God with us. It's Jesus' very name, Emmanuel, means God with us. It's the greatest, well, I say it, it's probably the greatest promise in all of Scripture that God is with us. In the darkest nights, in the most difficult times, in the, the times where we just want to bury our head under the covers and never come out, God is with us. In the sending nature that sends us to Thailand or sends us across the room or lets us pick up the phone and call that person that we have been longing to call and haven't talked to in 12 years, I am with you. The God that sends never leaves. The God that sends is always with. God doesn't send you out there to flail around and not be able to figure out how to start up the conversation that he has called you to have. Jesus says, I am with you. You are not alone. I am with you. And it is the single, probably greatest promise in Scripture that the God that sins never leaves. He never leaves. There are times in our lives, sure, where we feel like we are alone, like, the, like we talked about in Acts, like a boat is on the high seas and it's going to crash and shipwreck and the night is dark and I don't know what to do. But God's promise, and God keeps his promises that he is there in that storm, in that night, in that moment, because God with us. And it should change how we think about being sent. So if God is calling me to that, whatever that is for you, whether that's to rekindle a relationship or to change careers or to go overseas or to just simply talk to that coworker or, or to whoever it is, that if God calls you to that, he is sending you into that thing, that movement, that idea, that person, 
with his authority, and he will not leave. He is with you. It's his authority and his call and his presence. And as a church, it should change us, man. We exist to just hang around here and high-five each other. Like, I want out. I want to exist there with my neighbors and with people. I want to have real relationships that aren't easy, that are somewhat uncomfortable. I want to care about the person that drives in front of me. I want to care about the person I stand in line with. I want them to know the God that has changed my life. And the moment I quit caring, right, the moment that they don't matter or that I become consumed with myself, I want it to break my heart. And the moment that this church, in particular, because it's the one where we are, becomes that inwardly focused, I want out. I want it to break our heart. We exist not for here, but to live out there. Sometimes the out there comes in here, which is awesome, and we love it. But the majority of the time, you are living somewhere else. I'm here. No one sleeps here, right? You exist out there, and you have neighbors and coworkers, and you are sent into that world. Sometimes that sending is hard. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it means getting rid of things and moving across the world. And sometimes it just simply means swallowing your pride and saying yes to Jesus. His authority, his call to love people into deeper relationships with Christ. Not civic-minded social volunteering, but real, deep, loving you into a maturing relationship with Jesus Christ because that's what I long for as a person. And I can bank on the promise that even in the most difficult times, even when I'm I'm not real sure how this is going to go, you are with me. Jesus gave this promise to the church. Actually, the promise of communion is that incredible promise of, I'm with you. Like, this is what we are called to share and be a part of together. This table is the incredible great reminder of God with us. Like, even before his own betrayal, death, even before his own resurrection, he gave his followers a promise that when you do this, right, you do it in remembrance of me. I am giving you a common thread a common thread to remind you not of just what I've done but who I am and that I am always with you on that very night that Jesus was betrayed the night that all of his friends followers would scatter the night that he would be denied he gathered his disciples and he took a loaf of bread and after giving thanks he broke it he said, this bread is my body, broken for you. In the same manner, after he had taken the bread, he took the cup, and he said, this cup is my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. This is the new covenant. That as long as we share this, this cup and this bread, we are proclaiming the Lord's death and resurrection until he comes again. This meal is the great reminder of God with us. It is the ultimate promise that Jesus gave his life that we might know him. And we are sent into the world to proclaim this truth, the death and resurrection of Jesus, to love the world into a deeper relationship with Christ.
as we pursue him together. Here we do communion by means of intinction, which is a really fancy word way of saying when you come down front or in the back, we'll have two stations to take a piece of the bread, you dip it in the cup, and you can eat it. Um, we'd love for you to take your time. Our band will be leading us in worship. As you feel led or called, we invite you to come be part of one of those stations and then remain standing as we close our time in worship. One thing Scripture tells us is that this meal should not be taken lightly, but it is something that we do with intentionality, examining our own hearts, confessing our sin, and coming before the risen God and saying, Lord, this is what your grace looks like for me. Let's pray together. Lord, I'm grateful for your word, and I'm grateful for, well, I'm grateful for this meal, this symbol, this promise that comes at this table, that is the ultimate promise of God with us. It's a reminder not only of what you've done, but of who you are and who you still are. So, Lord, as we share in this time together and as we worship, I pray that you would, you would allow us to examine our own hearts, confess our sin, come before you and develop a heart to exist where you lead, wherever you send, wherever you call us to go, whether that's across the world or across the room. That, God, our answer would be yes to you, that you have given us authority through the Holy Spirit you have called us to something deeper and you have promised to never leave us or forsake us. Surely I am with you always. So God, we proclaim those truths this morning as we celebrate this meal together. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll invite our servers to come forward.